The Iran deal in 2015 jeopardized Iranian people's democratic potential because it strengthened the Iranian government at the expense of its captive population. In our negotiations, either for China's trades or for Iran's nuclear deal, we are not asking the right questions and not demanding the right mechanisms. Hello, this is Samaya Dehban, a devoted Dutchified Iranian whose life is quite interwoven with politics. I am the creator and host of Your Native Analyst, a podcast for anyone who has ever wondered what is really going on in Iran and the Middle East, and how on earth does that affect us in Europe and the Netherlands. This content is shaped around my personal yet political experiences as an Iranian living in exile, as well as a naturalized Dutch citizen. It is also inspired by my cross-sector work spanning academia, politics, civil society, and the private sector. In this podcast series and its dedicated newsletter, I contextualize the news about Iran and the Middle East for the European and the Dutch politicians, as well as the general public. And during this, I unveil the nuances that are lost in translation. The aim is to modulate the view of our European and Dutch representatives when negotiating with the Iranian government and collectively move towards a just and sustainable international community. Join me every second Tuesday of the month to hear about the reality of life in that part of the world. Now let's unveil this episode of Your Native Analyst. Welcome to the fourth episode of Your Native Analyst. Thank you for showing up and tuning in. This is the first episode of Your Native Analyst in 2022. I'm quite excited to be back in the studio and start recording again. I've changed the format of my podcasts to make the series more coherent with each other. As you may know, beside Your Native Analyst, I have three other podcast series. And in each of them, I address some similar issues to which I refer here in Your Native Analyst. In this way, the connection between these podcast series can be more pronounced and clear. Now, with this explanation, let's get into what I have prepared for this episode. In this episode, I will be talking about understanding. Understanding is the first phase of a model that I have developed over the last couple of years in the domain of personal and organizational transformation, as well as change management, or better to say, change leadership. I presented this model last year on 30th of October, a day before my 40th birthday, at the historic academic building of Utrecht University. On my website, you can read more about this event. 
This model is based on over 350 books and 200 academic articles and policy papers, and I have dubbed it Verbinding. Verbinding is the Dutch term for interconnectedness, but with an emotional hint towards interrelatedness. Verbinding has three phases, namely understanding, implementing, and scaling. Throughout 2022, I will present this model to you in every episode. And for today's episode, I will talk about phase one, understanding. What does it mean to understand? And why is it at the cornerstone of every action that we need and want to take in our lives? I will also talk about the hot topic of Iran's nuclear deal. Firstly, I will tell you about the 2015 Iran deal and its shortcomings. And then I share with you a glance at Iran's annual budget and its relation to the new Iran deal that has been under negotiations for many months. In this episode, you hear about how the West has jeopardized the democratic potential of Iranians. We all are connected in this world. The suffering of one, regardless of how far they are from us, could and would become the suffering of all. The lack of respect for human rights, the lack of freedom of speech in China, exasperated the spread of COVID-19 and turned it into a pandemic. The lack of respect for human rights and lack of freedom of speech is preventing the Iranian people from holding their own government accountable, not only towards themselves, but also towards the international community. In our negotiations, either for China's trades or for Iran's nuclear deal, we are not asking the right questions and not demanding the right mechanisms. In this episode, together, we dig into the understanding phase of my change management model. From there, we dissect the shortcomings of the 2015 Iran deal and how it failed to capitalize the democratic potential of the Iranian youthful and westward-looking population. We, the international community, need to protect and guard the local communities through protecting human rights, if we want to guard and protect our own community. Before we can move forward, we need to know where we are standing. And to know where we are standing, we need to look back and see where we are coming from. To build a roadmap, we need to have an in-depth understanding of the context in which we operate. And then we need to bring seemingly unlikely allies together and translate our collective vision into a step-by-step plan towards measurable impact in the domain we are working. Iran, and by extension the Middle East, has been at the center of the news as far as I can remember. 
As someone who is born right after the so-called Islamic Revolution in 1979 and been raised and schooled during Iran-Iraq war in the 80s, I believe I have seen my fair share of blood and misery for a nation. Now combine this with an authoritarian regime that stops at nothing to keep its power. From ruthless mass executions of its own people right after the revolution, to throwing teenagers in front of the tanks of the enemy during the war, to invading the student dormitories who ask for freedom of press, to serial killings of its intellectuals, to numerous assassinations of its opponents abroad, to imprisoning and torturing its human rights defenders and journalists, to having a not-so-hidden arm in Syria and Yemen, to downing airplanes carrying civilians, just to name a few. The question is, where does this leave us as the West in our negotiations with Iran over its threatening nuclear program? How can we trust a government that has no respect or value for its own people to promise that it will not harm people who has no connection to that land? To answer this question, we need to go back to Iran's motives for wanting to strike a deal with us. And to understand their motives, we need to understand what makes them tick and what or who can keep them accountable. And let me make it very clear and simple. No international treaty or agreement has or will have the executive power to stop Iran from advancing its nuclear program and developing a nuclear bomb. If Iran is willing to sacrifice its own nation, what makes you think that it won't sacrifice the rest of us? With this rather gloomy question in mind, let's take a deeper look at the 2015 Iran deal and what it really stood for and how it actually facilitated and strengthened the Islamic Republic to not only expand its nuclear program, but also becoming more aggressive towards its own nation. To put it bluntly out there, the Iran deal in 2015, in my opinion, jeopardized Iran's democratic potential because it strengthened the Iranian government at the expense of its captive population. It may have looked that the Western concerns were downgraded. However, in the long run, the only mechanism that we can count on for holding a government accountable is by empowering the people to hold their own government accountable. And this deal took away the last shred of support that the international community, the West, could have offered the democratic potential of Iranian people. Let's break this down. For sake of transparency, I have to mention that the information presented in this segment is based on the op-eds published 
by the members of the American Foreign Policy Council Task Force for Iran deal in 2015 in various outlets. So what was Iran deal? In October 2015, Iran and P5 plus 1 countries, or from a European perspective, E3 plus 3, formally adopted the new nuclear agreement. It was widely expected that Iran will comply quickly with the terms of the deal, formally known as the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, JCPOA or Barjam in Persian, because the scope of the sanctions relief contained within the JCPOA was enormous. The relief was equivalent to a quarter of Iran's total economy. As such, complying with the terms of the deal made good economic sense for Iran's regime. Right from the start, the nuclear agreement began to empower a range of destructive behavior by the Iranian government. Just after signing the agreement, the Islamic Republic initiated major new procurement talks with arms suppliers such as Russia and China, conducted a high-profile ballistic missile test in violation of UN Security Council resolutions and significantly expanded its military footprint in Syria. Moreover, this adventurism was poised to become more pronounced in the weeks and months ahead, as the economic benefits of the nuclear deal began to kick in. Knowing this, U.S. and European policymakers needed to begin thinking about the vulnerabilities that are likely to result from the agreements with Iran, as well as the steps they can take in order to mitigate them. These vulnerabilities fell into four broad categories. First one, compliance. The particulars of the JCPOA confirm that the initial objective of Western diplomacy with Iran, the rollback of the Islamic Republic's nuclear infrastructure, has not been attained. To the contrary, the terms of the agreement actually help Iran develop a stronger nuclear program over time. Therefore, the United States and its European allies needed to develop and deploy advanced forensic and scientific technologies to accurately track Iran's nuclear-related activities to make sure Iran remains within the parameters of JCPOA, as well as to publicly outline a menu of scalable responses by which to punish the Islamic Republic if it doesn't. Second one, economic warfare. In Iran, as I mentioned in my previous episodes, the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, IRGC, is second only to the supreme leader in strategic importance. It is nothing short of an economic powerhouse in control of as much as one-third of Iran's entire economy. 
As a result, the IRGC was inevitably among the biggest beneficiaries of the enormous sanctions relief given by the JCPOA, and its threat potential was expanded accordingly. Limiting the IRGC's destructive capacity required restricting its access to the international economy by formally designating the entire IRGC as a terrorist entity and then comprehensively mapping and identifying its constituent entities, economic interests, and affiliated companies in order to prevent Iran's foreign partners from trading with them. Third one, defense. The Obama's administration had articulated its commitment to deterring Iran from obtaining a nuclear weapon and has said it would use military forces if necessary. Yet, the administration never took concrete steps to convince the Iranian regime that it is prepared to do so. And the fourth one, Iranian democracy. Already ranked among the world's most repressive regimes, Iran over the past several years has engaged in a deepening crackdown on human rights, freedom of expression, and political choice. This trajectory should be of significant concern to American and European policymakers because Iran's population of over 80 million is overwhelmingly youthful, educated, and westward-looking. This other Iran holds out the promise of a more durable and harmonious relationship with the West. But the JCPOA imperiled Iran's democratic potential because it strengthened the Iranian government at the expense of its captive population. In response, the United States and the European Union needed to act more resolutely than ever before through both public statements and concrete legislations to shine a spotlight on Iran's human rights abuses and to penalize the Iranian government for its repression of democracy at home. All of these steps were necessary because, while a nuclear deal had been struck, the broader strategic challenge that Iran poses to American and European interests and allies persists. Resolute action was necessary to prevent Islamic Republic cheating while the GCPOA was in force, to prevent an Iranian nuclear breakout thereafter, and to prevent adverse effects stemming from Iran's acquisition of the extensive sanctions relief in the meantime. The JCPOA provided Iran with a patient pathway to nuclear weapons capability by placing limited, temporary, and reversible constraints on Iran's nuclear activities. These nuclear provisions, which mostly disappear over a period of 10 to 15 years, counting from 2015, left Iran at a threshold nuclear power with an industrial size, uranium enrichment, and plutonium program. 
advanced ballistic missile, access to advanced heavy weaponry, greater regional hegemony, and a more powerful economy that could be immune to Western sanctions. The maximum pressure of the Trump administration, as well as their comprehensive mapping and identifying of IRGC's entity to a great extent, crippled the activities of IRGC. After the election of President Biden and the promise of coming back to JCPOA, Iran speeded up and advanced its activities for enriching uranium and further limited the access of international community to its sites. Knowing this, in the next segment, let's look into the proposed annual budget of the Iranian president and see if we can track an impact of Iran's New Deal. President Raisi's annual budget does not give a significant signal that he is counting on the new Iran deal. Let's break it down. Again, for the sake of transparency, the information of this segment is based on Persian and English publications of Dr. Saeed Qasemineshad, economist and senior advisor of Foundation for Defending Democracy. Iranian President Ibrahim Raisi sent his first annual budget bill to the Islamic Consultative Council, or Majlis, towards the end of 2021, providing important insight into his priorities for the next Persian year, that is April 22 to March 23. The bill suggests that the government envisions no full revival of the 2015 nuclear deal and its accompanying sanctions relief in the coming month. The first draft of the annual budget provides an unfiltered look at what the Raisi government thinks about the country's finances. There are five key points to consider. First, the bill projects exports of 1.2 million barrels per day of crude oil during the April 22 to March 23 period. Last year's budget projected exports of 2.3 million barrels per day. This projection appears to indicate that Tehran has no intention of resuming full compliance with the JCPOA in the near future. However, the budget assumptions do not rule out a partial removal of sanctions, even though it is likely that Raisi presidency is relying on its sanction-busting capabilities to facilitate exports. Second, the nominal value of the budget in reals, the Iranian currency, increased only 7%. And considering inflation, the real value of the budget decreased. The contractionary budget shows the president's key priority is curbing inflation, similar to what the previous administration did in its first year. Nevertheless, a contractionary fiscal policy will not be enough 
to significantly cut inflation if the sanctions remain in place. Third, Raisi intends to change the subsidies program for basic goods, which currently works by providing cheap foreign currency to importers. There are indications that Raisi may provide the subsidies directly as cash to citizens instead. Both moves are inflationary and will put upward pressure on prices. Iran's economy suffers from multiple exchange rates, and if Raisi can guide the economy toward a single foreign currency exchange rate, it would be a significant accomplishment that his predecessors failed to achieve. Fourth, Raisi is increasing the retirement age by two years while limiting the increase in government employees' salaries. The former is a response to the bankruptcy risk that the retirement funds are facing. The latter is designed to fight the inflationary effect of the increase in the salary of government employees. Both moves will create discontent among the affected population. And fifth, Raisi is trying to unifying the dollar price at a higher rate as currently there are three different rates. Whether this will stabilize exchange rates or the high rate will lead to an upward movement of the price in the foreign exchange market depends on the system's ability to facilitate a steady and reliable supply of foreign currency in the market and avoid currency shocks. The assumptions made by the budget do not signal optimism about a quick and definitive resolution of the nuclear crisis. The contractionary policies of the budget may further plant the seeds of further social unrest, which has erupted regularly since 2017. We discussed how the 2015 Iran deal failed to secure what it intended to do. And the upcoming version of it, whether you want to call it a new deal or just a return to the old one, does not seem to be counted on very much by the Iranian president. The question we need to ask ourselves is, did we, the West, really learn anything from the past years of negotiating with Islamic Republic? In this episode, we discussed the first phase of my organizational transformation model, which I have dubbed Verbinding. This phase is called Understanding and is focused on gaining a deep insight into our past, our present, and our potential future. And without knowing our past and present, it is close to impossible to imagine a future. The history and political situation in Iran is quite complex. The misleading democratic structure of Iran has given a lot of space to the authoritarian regime to oppress its people and keep the international community in the shadows. 
lack of comprehensive understanding of this context by the international community has jeopardized the efforts of the Iranians in the country and in exile to fight for their rights. The 2015 Iran deal basically failed at many fronts, not just by killing the democratic potential of the youthful population of Iran, but also by failing to prevent Iran from progressing in its nuclear program. The presented annual budget of President Raisi indicates that the Islamic Republic is not counting on having the sanctions lifted, which means he is not taking the new negotiations and deals seriously. The Dutch government has been recently formed. I hope the new ministers and leaders in the Netherlands, as well as the leaders at the European level, contextualize their negotiations with the Islamic Republic of Iran further in their past actions. I hope the new leaders safeguard the democratic potential of the Iranian population instead of putting it at further risk. I invite the negotiators to focus on the power of the people to keep their government accountable. This would benefit us all. Prioritize respect and safeguarding human rights in your negotiations. Without respect for human rights, there is no guarantee that Iran will not use nuclear bomb on us. The time and energy that we invest in understanding what has been done before us and what is the state of progress would pay off in multiple folds when we are in the implementing and scaling phase of transformation. So take your time and dig deep. It is of great importance to know our roots, and when we know where we are standing, we would know where we can head towards and why. And this would help us guide our next steps, our next step in our next purchase at the market, our next step in our research, our next step in setting goals, our next step to vote for a representative. What was the unveiling moment of this episode for you? Did you hear about something that impacted your view on the reality of life in that part of the world and how it impacts us on this side of the world? I hope you gained a deeper insight into the complexity of politics and how it affects us regardless of our regions. Want to hear more? Sign up for my thematic newsletters to get notified about each episode and more. You can do this by going to my website, somayedehban.com newsletters. Until the next unveiling, Bedrood.